the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson uh, coming to you here on a Wednesday as we dive into the big old bag of mail. Plus, we've got some headlines that have uh, broken since we last discussed uh, our live upon further review show on Monday afternoon. Of course, youtube.com slash cover three. If you're watching this mailbag episode, please subscribe to the YouTube channel and smash that little bell notification. Why? Because then you will know anytime that we go live Uh, Mondays, 3 PM. We'll be able to let you know notification. Boom. Right there. Uh, Thursdays, 11 AM. You want these locks? Come get these locks. There's a notification right there on your phone and Saturday nights for our instant reactions along with you know, we've got uh, you know Tuesday uh, lunchtime chat with Bud. Lots of uh, options to be able to watch the Cover 3 podcast. And if you are listening to the audio form, uh, wherever you get your podcast, we thank you for that. A reminder that the way that you get a question into the mailbag episode is with a five-star review of the Cover 3 podcast. In your review, put the question. We'll add it to the big old bag of mail. So we are coming to you on a Wednesday morning, and we've got – a massive game in the Sun Belt on Wednesday night. Kid Brewer Stadium. I expect it will be an awesome atmosphere. The Rock, uh, for those of you who know it affectionately. Coastal Carolina is in town. The App State looking to bounce back from uh, laying an egg uh, in Lafayette against Louisiana. So uh, one conference loss already for the Mountaineers. But if you beat Coastal Carolina, you still keep yourself in that Sun Belt championship race. For the early birds who've already gotten uh, this podcast in their ears. I want to give them the opportunity. Thoughts on the game. If you've got a lock, then absolutely please drop it so that the listeners know. But how are we approaching what is uh, the beginning of some like really fun midweek football uh, here on Wednesday night? Well, there's a lot more on the line than the Sun Belt tonight, Chip, because as we talked about at the end of Monday's show, Wifey's in the, in the hunt for a new football team. And Coastal is one of the teams under consideration. So this will be the first time she's watched Coastal. So they can't just win. They got to be impressive tonight. I'm actually going to go ahead and lock up App State here. Um, I I said on the Sunday early line show that I was going to play App State. I was going to wait for it to rise. Uh, I had the discipline not to take the three and a half. This number's now at five and a half. I don't Ooh. see any sixes. Do you? No. Oh, yeah, I might sit till game time. If this thing hits that's, seven, that's, that's actually yeah. unload. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to get this game in the newsletter today, but I've got to write that this afternoon. It's I'm kind of hoping it gets to six. So in real life, I'm kind of with you. I'm going to wait to see if it gets to six before tip kickoff. From a, a key number perspective, right? 
Uh, five and a half, basically a dead zone. It's a, it's a something where you can afford to wait on a little bit because games don't typically land on five. Four and a half, four, three and a half, obviously three are you know sort of primary and, and secondary key numbers in college football. Five and a half is not. So if you want to play the waiting game a little bit, and as long as you're diligent and you're on it, maybe it goes to six. That's kind of a secondary key. Uh, if it dips down to four and a half, I think that's the point to say, okay, this is not going to get back up any higher than that. But for the lock spot, I'll, I'll take five and a half. And, and the main reason I like it uh, is just, I, I don't even love this App State team, right? Uh, but think about the offenses that App State has, pl- or that, that Coastal has played so far. Uh, tell me which one is your favorite. Citadel, Kansas at Buffalo, where they won 28-25. UMass, which I believe is with the backup quarterback that day. Uh, UL Monroe and Arkansas State. Warhawks. It's my favorite so. offense of that group. But remember, that was the game when Rhett Rodriguez, uh, Rich's son, missed the game the with the yeah. collapsed lung. So mm-hmm. that was they, they faced another backup quarterback in that game. And then they also knocked James Blackman out early in the game uh, against Arkansas State. And then Arkansas State had a bunch of drops when Lane Hatcher came in. But they did have guys who were pretty wide open. I, I have real concerns about Coastal Carolina's defense. Uh, their metrics this year are... Like, okay, opponent adjusted. I mean, they're number two in passing success rate defense, but they've allowed a ton of explosive plays. This is a team you can run the football on, I believe, even though they've played a bunch of crappy offenses. Uh, App is by far the best team they've played, in, in my opinion. And I, I think App at home, uh, midweek game, is is worth a shot here with the five and a half. So lock it up. This is a cover three locks official bet, right? Locks yeah, five oh, yeah. bet just I, coming early. I... um. I'm torn on this one because emotionally, I love, like, Tom, get wifey on board because they're a fun team to watch, right? Coastal's fantastic. They're a ton of fun to watch play. They sent me some gear last year, so if you like, it's an easy way to get me. I can be bought. <laughs> um, I look at this team, and so trust Grayson McCall, this offense. I think one of the – if you look at kind of some of the things Bud's alluding, like giving up 22 to Kansas, maybe the first warning sign that the defense maybe not, you know, championship ready – but here's where here's why I think this is a stay away because my emotion says, all right, Coastal's going to roll, which, by the way, is the public side too. All the public is on Coastal, assuming, oh, they're the ranked team. We just saw App State lose to Louisiana. I have a Chase Bryce stat for you guys that worries me from the other side of this one. So Chase Bryce this season, seven giveaways, five interceptions, two fumbles lost, including three against Louisiana. That is tied for 18th most in the FBS after committing 22 last season at Duke, uh, that's four more than any other FBS player. His 29 giveaways since the start of 2020 are six more than any other FBS player in that span. Only 21 FBS teams have as many giveaways since the start of last season as Chase Bryce has all by himself. That is an alarming stat at the most important position of the game to be that careless with the football. That is a massive warning for me uh, that would make me very nervous. And Grayson McCall, meanwhile, we've seen two years of sample size of him just dealing great decisions in this really cutting-edge offense, which I think a lot of people are going to start stealing concepts for and watching what they're doing here at Coastal Carolina. I'm going to stay away from this one. If App State had a quarterback, they would be favored. Yes. Like there's but no doubt. Going back to what you're talking about with Coastal's run defense, they are ranked 79th nationally in defensive success rate against the run, and that is with that schedule that they've played. 
So I think that if going off those stats you just mentioned for Bryce, Danny, App State's <laughs> best plan of attack tonight, run the Hand the ball, ball. off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get it. You know how much time the ball needs to be in Chase Bryce's hands? Not much. Okay. We're either handing it off or we're throwing like to Hennigan on the outside and just see if the a great athlete can go and make somebody miss and create explosive plays through the passing game, not by pushing the ball 20 yards down the field through the air, but by getting the ball into a playmaker's hand and see if they can do something out on the perimeter. I'm not going to make it an official lock, but we have noted your official lock for the, for the pod. Um, and uh, I, I mean, Homer, like I, I would love to see app state win. I would love, I would love for this to be an awesome night in Boone. It's but I think Boone, North Carolina is the best college town in the state. And the way that it lights up for a game, especially a primetime game, is uh, is very, very cool. I've been there for a couple of them. And, uh, and yeah, I hope the Mountaineers Wait. win, but it, it hinges on Chase Bryce. You just said best college town in the state of North yeah. Carolina. For a college football game, yes. Okay, okay, okay. All right. I, just clarifying, because I, I think Chapel Hill is one of the best college towns in America, in general, in America. Yeah, so, I, yes. but I've, I've never been to a game at Boone. I Backdrop, beautiful fans, electric, scene, all of it. I think it's one of those ones that's a sneaky bucket list item for a college football fan that might always get recommended. Oh, you have to go to Baton Rouge at night. You have to go to this Big Ten team. You have to go to the Rose Bowl. This is one of those sneaky, like, quiet, like, under-the-radar type of environments that you need to check out. I've I've always liked, like, App State, too. Um, So do you remember the guy who blocked the field goal against Michigan? Like the – Corey Lynch? Okay. Yeah. So his dad uh, was on my dad's fire crew growing up. His, <laughs> da- his dad was a hell of an athlete, and his mom, I think, was was a college sprinter. Uh, so major throwback. But I, like even you know back when they were still FCS, I, I was you know still a pretty big fan of that because of that. Um, what Chip? Do you not count like what about East Carolina on game day when they're good? I know it's been about a decade. But, like I feel like that used to be wild. Well, that's the like t- having that discussion. And I'm, I mean, I can't believe I'm making this hyper local. So we'll go real quick. That <laughs> no, is, it's that fun, is, though. This is college football. That is the curveball. You know, someone says, like, what is the best college football game day experience in North Carolina? And they think that there's four ACC teams in the state. And it's like, no, it's actually either Boone or Greenville. It's either App State or ECU. If you really want to go and you just want to see a whole community rise up um, and just create that unique atmosphere that you do find and all across the country when people talk about just the the intangibles of being around a stadium, the tailgating atmosphere, those sorts of things. I also like NC State just from the concept of there's so many like pine trees all around it. Like when people are flowing in that stadium, it's like, where the hell are all these folks coming from? It's like, like oh, all, all the locals are emerging from the woods and, and they're coming <laughs> they're coming into the stadium, which is kind of hidden down, you know, down in, in, in a bowl there. Uh it's all around the state fairgrounds. And so there's yeah. a bunch of land. And so you just turn the fairgrounds into massive tailgating. And then, you, like, as you mentioned, you peel out from the pine trees and just trickle in. So, like, uh, NC State Stadium is like the wall. And then it's like the free folk coming. I don't know. You guys watch yes. Game of Thrones when they yeah. all come out of the when they all come out of the forest and come to the wall. That's what NC State Stadium looks like. Pretty much, you're like, okay, walk through the forest and boom, there's steady. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that game, seven thirty p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Bud locking up the Mountaineers. The line, you know, sitting around five and a half right now. Uh, so. Uh, go and get in on that if you would like to, but be sure to watch. It should be one of the best games that we have in the Sun Belt this year. Okay. I think it's a live game. Oh, you think it's like sit yeah. and see how it's going? Yeah. All right. 
A little bit of news broke on Monday night. I can't say that it was totally unexpected. I didn't know what the the path to a resolution would be at Washington State, but the and honestly, how we got here is going to continue to be litigated as we on Wednesday morning continue to get um, Nick Rolovich's attorneys are, are making statements, and this seems to be something that will play out in the courts moving forward, but Nick Rolovich and multiple assistants are out at Washington state after, uh, as a result of the vaccine mandate for employees in the state of Washington. I honestly, just truthfully, I'm a little bit more interested in how Washington state moves forward from this and who like plays some of the same games that we would for any coach opening. But if there are strong feelings, or if you think that this is, uh, a story that deserves more attention than that. I will I will leave the floor open here to start the conversation. But what do we make out of what's happening at Washington State? And uh, yeah, what is the path forward for that football program? Uh, my, my first thought was sort of like, remember what happened with Gary Anderson? When, 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 he, when he just up and quit and everybody's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's so great that he up and quit because he's no longer passionate about it. But what about, what about the assistant coaches who who were vaxxed, who are now basically fired because of his decision, right? I mean, you got you got a lot of guys who aren't making millions, who are not going to be retained by the next staff, and who are almost certainly out, right? Like half that staff's still there; they're doing a good job. They've got a shot to win the Pac-12 North, and now they got to go tell their wife, "Hey, babe, uh, really through no fault of my own, I'm screwed. I got to go find another job, right?" And and the guy who you you know has hired you elsewhere is now out of a gig. So you have to figure out who's on that coaching tree or who else, you know, in the profession, like the, the decision affects a lot more people than just Rolovich who's making, or who was making a couple million and has a couple million in the bank. I hate this. I think it sucks. I hate that we have to have this conversation. I hate that it's been politicized. Uh, it's uncomfortable. I don't like discussing it because it can get heated. Uh, I understand you can criticize Rolovich for the choice he made. I think you could also criticize the policy, which forces individuals to do this. I don't think there really is much of a choice. I wish there was a choice that he could say, hey, you know what? My religious exemption, I'm there. And this is what his lawsuit is going to stem from. And I've talked to some other of my friends who have had similar issues and haven't been able to work of, hey, I'll take a test every day. I'll wear a mask everywhere I need to go. I'll, you know, I can prove I had natural immunity. Any other option of, hey, it might make your life really uncomfortable. But if you are that convicted about this issue, then we'll go ahead. You go ahead and do what you need to do as long as it doesn't impact everybody else. So you take the social distancing measures. You wear a mask in front of everybody, which Rolovich had been doing. I wish that was part of the choice for Rolovich. But Jay Inslee, governor of uh, Washington isn't seeing it that way, and it's costing a lot of people their jobs. So I hate that we're in this position. I think, Bud, you make an excellent point. I would have been on the like, – I have talked to several friends that why not just get it? Like that was my – why not just get it? Um, but I – and I am – you know, I'm vaccinated. I think everyone who feels it strongly about it should get vaccinated. But if you don't, I don't like the forced aspect of the policy itself. And that's about as political as – I want to get on here because I think a lot of people listen to our podcast because it's an escape from the uncomfortableness of conversations like these and where the you know emotions get heated and riled up. But that's kind of where I stand on it all. And Rolich is a friend of mine. Now you guys know this. I've said he was a teammate of mine in Denver. I was fifth on the depth chart. He was fourth. I think he's a good dude. And like it gets lost in all this because he becomes an easy punching bag for the strong, you know, mandate policy, which most of the college football 
media is and they make him look like an idiot and he's not he's not a bad guy he's a good guy who i think can coach and that's probably the the you know bud talked about the fellow coaches on there about the players they're innocent you know kind of victims and all this too who might see their season derailed now as well nobody likes being told what to do doesn't matter if it's getting the shot being told by your boss telling you something you got to do for nobody likes being told what to do so i i get where he's coming from i get why people are against you know the mandate and i understand where they why they would feel the way that they do and i understand why he made the decision he made it's just it's a public school and a public school has to follow the laws and the rules of the government institution that runs it and if your government's dictating that you have to get the shot you have a choice you either get the shot or you don't have the job he made his choice he's gonna have to deal with it and i don't know it's i'm not gonna get too political either but we're all there's a lot of backlash against mandates now, but I grew up in public schools and to go to public school. You had to have your shots. You had to have your vaccines. It's been common practice for I've been alive for 40 years. It's been common practice the whole time I've been alive. It's not new. And I just I, I don't want to get any further into this. So, yeah, yeah no, that's I mean, also look, an insurance issue. Right. I mean, like, wh wh where do you think these mandates are coming for a lot of these businesses? Liability. You go, you, liability. You, go to your, you go to your liability carrier and they're like, hmm, so you want to run a business and you want all your, your guys not to be vaccinated? Okay, let's go ahead and take your premiums and multiply, multiply, multiply. Like there, a lot of this comes down to that. From mm -hmm. from now, and the other thing is, you know, one of the beautiful things about America is that we do have differing state laws. If you like certain policies in this state, right? Move if to I, that if yeah. I really loved weed, I can move to Colorado a couple of years ago because they had legal weed. Like that, that's sort of the state sovereignty argument where we have different laws and you can avail yourselves of different protections and laws in different states, right? There were some states that allowed, you know, other types of marriages, you know, earlier than other states did, right? Before that became, you know, taken up as a federal issue. So uh, there are certainly going to be some programs where Rolovich can go coach again, just not in, probably not in the Pac-12, I, I, would, I would think. And it'll it'll be interesting to see how many other, other you know, states follow suit with making their, their state employees get the mandate. So Washington State moving forward tries to make the most of a season where, as as you mentioned, Bud, like in the Pac-12 North, there is... They could win it. Like, yeah, I mean, Oregon, <laughs> I was going to say there is no alpha, but Oregon's still the alpha. It's just a much weaker alpha than what we thought after week two following the Ducks win in Columbus. Like the idea of winning that division, I think more teams are open, are feeling like they're, they've got a shot uh, based on the way that things have gone and the way that the Ducks have looked, even though they're... You know, record is is still pretty strong. The form uh, allows for some hope for a lot of teams within that division. So, uh, like they're going to try to move forward. But what happens with the head coaching job? And as the administration starts to begin that, because now we've we've had LSU and Washington State both open up within a couple days of each other. Who do you think ends up? Uh, what's the better job, LSU or Washington <laughs> State? Let's debate. Um, so what, like, what, what do you do for uh, as as a Washington State administration? Is there somebody on that skeleton staff that you'd give an opportunity to to try and grab hold of this thing? Um, you know, the other names that are out there. You've got like an Alex Grinch, who was very good as a defensive coordinator at Washington State under Mike Leach, who's doing a very good job at Oklahoma, and some believe will be a head coach one day. That Joe Moorhead, the offensive coordinator at Oregon, somebody else who could step in and potentially be able to, um, you know, take over this program, get a second shot at his own head coaching career. There's a there's 
there are some interesting names for a job that is very, very difficult um, and, and requires some real creativity to be able to, to lead Washington State to division and conference title contention. I, I don't know what they do for this year. It's probably just going to be an interim and just try to get through the rest of the season as best as you can. Because I, 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 I don't know what they could really do right now. But as far as going forward, I think those names that you mentioned make a lot of sense. I don't know if I think I don't know if Alex Grinch is realistic. I think that he's had I think he's kind of holding out for a bigger job than Washington State. Mm. But I do think I do think that uh Kalen DeBoer at Fresno State's a good a, a candidate for the job. He's done well there. I think that Jay Norvell has had success at Nevada, which is not exactly you know, like it doesn't have a ton of resources. It doesn't have it. It it doesn't have a lot of what the other schools in the Mountain West have as far as football is concerned. And he's been able to compete in that conference. And I think that that's something that Washington State looks for. And I also think that uh, I think Joe Moorhead makes a lot of sense too, because like if you look at what Washington State has done, like the one constant thing that they've had over the years is somewhat of a fun, unique, and interesting offense. So I think maybe Joe Moorhead is somebody who kind of fits that. So I think I think there's a lot of decent candidates for this job, and we'll probably see more open as the year goes along. And in a way, at the very least, I suppose while it's a crappy situation overall, and while they're clearly not the top job, while like USC and LSU are fighting for the candidates at the top, that does allow Washington State a lot of time and wiggle room to start kind of going for those, you know, second and third tier options that aren't going to be interest getting the USC and LSU interest. So, you know, Pullman is right there on the border with Idaho, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a tough place to recruit to. You have to recruit a certain type of kid there. It's it's very country compared to like you know UW, which is right there, uh, you know near near Seattle. Uh, I, I thought about a couple of names first. I, I, I mean, if you want to go internal, Jake Dickert has done a really nice job with this defense, uh, and you know, yeah. he's, he's been retained. He's now the acting head coach. If they win the Pac-12 North, it wouldn't shock me to see them uh, promote Dickert. Like I'm sure the AD liked Rolovich and his staff when they hired him, and then their hands were tied by by the mandate. So if you if you're still the same AD and you like who you hired and you think Dicker's doing a good job, maybe you allow him to fill that staff out depending on how they finish out the season. Uh, the players certainly seem to like the staff a whole lot. Uh, but I, I do think it's important you have somebody who understands recruiting out West. I, I love the Norvell's uh, suggestion there just because look at Seth Luttrell, right? When you have a dynamic offense at one of these G5s, unless there's some reason to believe you can keep that going for a long term, which at North Texas, no. At Nevada, no. At Cincinnati, sure, right? Like you need to jump, otherwise you can miss your window. That we, we see this every year. These guys, oh, I, I love this place. I'm going to stay here and wait for something better. And then all of a sudden, their offense ain't that hot anymore, and they're not able to get out. And like Latrell's program is falling apart there at North Texas. Like, that could happen in Nevada easily. They have an NFL QB this year. They probably won't have an NFL QB going forward. But one name I thought about almost immediately. What about Jeff Choate? Right? He was the head coach of Montana State from like at least the last four or five years. Now he's on Sark's staff. I think coaching at Montana State is fairly similar, like geographically to coaching at Washington State. Guy's a pretty proven winner. He was at Boise. He was actually at Washington State back in 2012. So that makes some sense to me, you know, there. Uh, and then also, I guess one more. Um, I've been pretty impressed with Oregon State's offense. You know, I, I think they do a really good job up there. And a guy who's a fairly good recruiter, Brian Lindgren uh, is a name. He's, he's Oregon State's OC. I don't know if that's a big enough name for the Washington State job, but just something I thought uh, I thought could be. There's two names, uh, according to Bruce Feldman, from that Texas staff to keep an eye on. He mentioned oh. Jeff Choate, but okay. also Jeff Banks, 
uh, the associate head coach and offensive line coach, who's a former Washington State player and a Was- former Washington State. I didn't assistant. know Jeff played for them. Mm-hmm. So he he was at A and M, and then uh, and then he was at Bama, or was it Bama and then A and M? I think it was A and M and then Bama. Uh, he did a really nice job there. Um, let's see, Jeff Banks, uh, American football. He play, He was a punter for Washington State. And his assistant time was only as a grad assistant. Got Kickers it. Okay. Coach. Uh, all right. We also had some conference realignment news. Uh, so before we hit the break and open up the big old bag of mail, was there any, like, I, I see the American Athletic Conference it, is going to be welcoming in six teams, which means my biggest takeaway is they're expecting to lose more, which means that the Big 12 is probably still looking at the likes of a Memphis or, or some one of these other teams that was not taken in the Big 12's first round of expansion. Where Conference USA goes from here, I do not know. Whether or not Sunbelt teams made the final cut or said no, I think is something that I have not been able to uh, discern or figure out myself. Any any thoughts from the uh, the latest ripples of, uh, of expansion as the AAC is bringing in the likes of FAU, Charlotte, um, and more? I believe UTSA also made that cut as well. Um, any thoughts on on those moves from uh, the American Athletic Conference? They're betting on big cities and teams that do not have established fan bases, right? Like Charlotte mm-hmm. does not have a big fan base. Rice does not. UAB has some. UTSA, like they're literally just betting on on cities and hoping that they can develop those markets, which has worked in the past for them. Which is pretty much, yeah, that's been their philosophy. Because if you go through the schools in the AAC now – they're all generally located in major cities. What I think the bigger story is, is the AAC now has an owl monopoly. <laughs> They've got FAU, Rice, and Temple. <laughs> Nocturnal. Like you think back to about these games got to be played after dark every yeah. single week. Yeah, the Nocturnal Conference. Out of serious stuff, like is, I think this is the end of Conference USA. Mm. Because I think that yeah. of the teams that are left, the Sun Belt and maybe the Mountain West will probably pluck a couple of them up. And I think the Conference USA is going to end up going the way of the MAC or the WAC and the Southwest Conference. I think we've probably seen the end of it because their only other recourse is to bring up another bunch of FCS schools. And obviously, there's always FCS schools that are looking to make the move. But I just I don't know. I, like maybe James Madison joins Conference USA. But I think if I'm James Madison, I, if I look at the landscape... I would rather be in the Sun Belt than a Conference USA conference that just lost some of its bigger schools and doesn't really seem to have a set direction going forward. I think it was a weak response. I mean, that's kind of the overall impression of if this is Mike Oresco and the counter. Now, really, there weren't many great options. And, you know, how like, I get Army really wants to be independent. That one makes so much sense, but they can't convince them to get in there. There's the natural rivalry with Navy that they've already – not natural. It's it's already a rivalry, one of the best in college football. You couldn't get them to join. You couldn't convince Liberty, who's you know been wanting to join a conference. I think they want to go Power 5 for sure. You couldn't you know entice them while we're standing here with all this uncertainty. Go there. The fact that you couldn't get any Sun Belt school, because I think there were probably some calls made to some Sun Belt programs that were better football programs as the ones – that they're getting from Conference USA. So I just look at it, and I'm like, that's that's the response. And I'm just, it leaves me a little less than impressed. And that's not a knock against those programs. Maybe they can build those up and with the influx of money that'll come with a conference with a better TV deal, I guess it's better. But 
Yeah, and I'm with you guys on Conference USA too. That is a that is a rough one. Yeah, Sad. I, I think once Boise said no, like I think that AAC's biggest hope was that they were going to be able to get some of those Mountain West teams to join. And then once the Mountain West kind of stood firm, it really limited the pool of what the AAC could do. Because like, I don't know, like I think Boise and a couple other schools are still kind of hoping the Big 12 wants to add a couple more teams in the future. Man. Yeah, I think the Mountain West uh, is also sort of uh, capped from expanding here a little bit uh, due to who they took. Like a Mountain West was looking to get into Kansas, or excuse mm-hmm. me, Kansas, Lord, into Texas. And, the uh, and mountainous that, region of Kansas. <laughs> and that, that's, that's probably not going to happen, right? Um, so, I, I mean, this is – like what other teams would you have wanted the AAC to go out and get? Like I guess you can argue Marshall – uh, what would have been one potentially, but that's again, that's not really fitting with yeah. what looks like their modus operandi here, which is go to get schools in big cities. Marshall has a fan base. They have a governor who cares very much about Marshall. If you saw the Doc Holiday stuff mm-hmm. last, last year, but they don't have a big city. It's not like Marshall's all of a sudden going to expand its fan base a whole lot. These other schools all have really large metro areas. So it's going to go the way of the metro conference. Mm-hmm. It's also from a travel perspective. If you're an AD and you have to support all these non-revenue sports, which I don't know how long that'll continue. I mean, not not saying it'll be gone in five years, but in fifty years, are we still you know scholarship and flying all these other sports all around? I, I have my doubts. But it's much easier to fly into Birmingham or into Lauderdale or where Huntington, West Virginia, ain't easy to fly to unless you're going to fly private. And they're not flying women's volleyball or men's soccer on a, on a PJ. Right, mm-hmm. like you got it. You got to take commercial, and that's just a pain in the ass to get to for these midweek uh, non-revenue games. If Conference USA is headed the way of the Metro, its memory will always be uh, carried on by the likes of UCF, Cincinnati, uh, Houston. I mean, they had Louisville, they had TCU. That was a fun conference not mm-hmm. too long ago. Memphis. Mm. Do you remember what the happens bowl- to the leftover Sun Belt? That's what either some like some combination of Sunbelt and uh or in that independent I guess that independent, independent hell. Yeah. Hey, you can play New Mexico State twice in the same season if you want to live that independent life. <laughs> Coming up on the other side, we mentioned uh some of the many ripples that will come from all these coaching moves. We also look at some jobs that might be open, ones that might be competing with Washington State for some of these Power 5 jobs. Who replaces James Franklin, the bell of the ball at the coaching carousel, if he were to leave Penn State? And more of the questions from the big old bag of mail next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly 
so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, so this question was uh, a part of, it was submitted a little while ago, but now, and we didn't get a chance to get to it last week, but it's even uh, more, I think, relevant now. Uh, great podcast. You guys are truly amazing and way more nationally recognized than most people think. Oh, okay. I love it. Uh, on to my question. The Pac-12 is bad this year. We all know that. I was trying to think of the last time. It was truly good. I go back to 2011 to 2014 when UCLA beat USC and Arizona and Anu Solomon were great. Then I think of 2016 and Sam Darnold in USC. With all that is, and for that matter, isn't happening at USC right now, sometimes I think about possible next head coaches. And one scenario that keeps coming to mind, wouldn't it be ironic if James Franklin went to USC to replace Clay Helton, the team and coach that beat him in Penn State in the 2017 Rose Bowl, one of the greatest iterations of the game uh, ever, and a great college football game in general? Not a bad move, just a funny one. If he went to USC, however, do you think that Luke Fickle would go and take over at Penn State? Why or why not for Luke Fickle at Penn State? And if no, who would your top three to be to take over at Penn State and why? Plus, are there any other coaches on a hot seat that might not get fired until after the regular season besides LSU and Virginia Tech? Well, you know, got that one. Uh, any ones that we need to look up, look out for? Keep it up, guys. Go Bucks and fight on. Uh, so there's a couple of different pieces that, number one, uh, who would take over? for James Franklin, if James Franklin left, and then what are some of the other jobs in addition to our LSU, USC, Washington State at the Power 5 level to keep an eye on? I don't know if Luke Fickle would take the Penn State job, but I think he'd be more likely to take it than he would either USC or LSU. You don't think it's such an automatic fit? Like, what would you, if you're Luke Fickle, you were his agent, Luke's what choosy, would you man. tell him? Do you think he's waiting on? Like, do you think he's- I would tell him to take the job. I would tell yeah, him to take the job too. for sure. But, I mean, I think for the impression that I've gotten is obviously he wants to stay in the Midwest. Like, that's where he spent his entire coaching career. He's, he's mentioned, like, the reason he hasn't left Cincinnati already for a couple Power 5 gigs in the Midwest is because he doesn't want to uproot his family right now. So I think that that says there are only a few jobs he's going to be leaving Cincinnati for. We've talked, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and I think Penn State is in that category of jobs. It's just – I don't know if that's the one he wants or if that's the one he thinks he can get or that's the one he wants to wait for. I think that he's pretty happy at Cincinnati. I think that, you know, we'll see how things go for the rest of this year, but Cincinnati's going to be joining the Big 12. But at the same time, when they do join the Big 12, that might he might want to be out of there before then because that's not that's kind of going to take him out of his uh, specialty area in the Midwest as far as recruiting. All right, so other names, if we have to come up with some, uh, I actually think Jeff Halfley would kill it there. Yeah, that's um, a great call. I've been really impressed with with what Halfley's done. I think the the, the injury to Jakovic, the quarterback there, is probably going to stifle some of his hype. But before then, they were on pace to to easily win eight nine ball games. They've shown some defensive improvement at Boston College. Look at what has happened to Ohio State's defense since he left there. Hint: not good things. Uh, I think honestly, the other side of his operation that I'm I'm pretty impressed with 
uh, is that I, I do track this and I'm working on a bigger feature for this, but I'll give you a little spoiler. Teams that do a really good job identifying talent early that they don't sign, but that, that later goes on uh, to sign with like the Georgias or the Bamas, right? Boston College uh, is a really good uh, early identification of guys. And they're not just doing the thing where they shotgun a million offers out, right? So like they, of course, they offered you early because they offered everybody early. Like they're still selective, but their early offers are good. That shows me he can scout into not just star chase. And, you know, he's very much on guys that are later rising up. Um, he has NFL experience. I think that would make a lot of sense. And I, I would probably take a look at Matt Campbell. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's a guy who I don't think he's a fit at like LSU or USC personally, but that's still pretty Midwestern. So maybe I think Matt Campbell does a good job. He'd be great at Penn State. I think Fickle or Campbell, you'd be just. You know, doing jumping jacks because you're excited. State yeah. Fan, right? Yeah, God, yeah, you should be. Yeah. How deep does that list go? Like, where does where does where does it drop off to where all of a sudden a Penn State fans start to say, "If we reach this point, I'm not going to be happy." Uh, John Donovan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pro- probably Ricky Ronnie. Too. Probably not. A, yeah. 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 Probably not. Don't think he's ready for that gig. But I think speaking going that true, we we mentioned Joe Moorhead Joe at Washington Moorhead. State. I think Joe Moorhead would probably be acceptable to the fan base. I don't know if he'd be anybody's top choice, but what about like a Dave Clawson? Yeah. Or a Dave Doran? Yeah. Do you think Dave Doran personality wise would be interesting up there? I think Dave Clawson could, could certainly work. Yeah. With Moorhead, if, if Pitt's season had gone south after they lost to Western, I think Moorhead was an absolute shoe in for the Pitt job. You know, he, he's a Pittsburgh guy. They actually can score some points. There's a lot of stuff that fits there. But since Narduzzi's turned it around, I, I don't think they're going to fire Narduzzi at this point. Like, they actually could win the ACC. I didn't know. Was Narduzzi on a hot seat? Yeah. He... I think so, yeah. Really? Yeah, if things if things had started to go south, yeah. Interesting. Like that's So, a... I guess that's not being on a hot seat. That's a – if they yeah. had continued to look like crap after they lost to Western, then I think a move could have been made. And you know who else? I mean, I don't I don't know what the odds of them getting him are. But if I was Penn State, I would strongly consider doing, at least taking a run at. And we didn't mention him for the LSU job, and maybe LSU should do the same. I don't know if I, I don't think he's a sexy enough name. But if I'm Penn State and my job comes open, I'd take a run at Mark Stoops. Mm, yeah. There was another uh, question in the mailbag, just made the cutting room floor that said, What is it going to take for Mark Stoops to leave Kentucky? And I think it was asked by a Kentucky fan that was like, Hopefully we can keep him type question. Like what is what job should I be afraid of right now? Like I mean, Kentucky's an SEC gig, so it's attractive, but Penn State traditionally is a place where you can win a national title at and Kentucky isn't. And uh, like maybe Miami, obviously Mark Mark was the uh, uh the secondary coach there under under Butch, right? Mm-hmm. Um you know, he's he's recruited South Florida pretty well in his history, but I think the only thing that gets Mark Stoops out of Kentucky is if Kentucky all of a sudden changes his expectations. Right now, Kentucky's like, we're a basketball school. Anytime you provide us with a watchable product in the basketball offseason, we are really happy. We want to fill our stadium up. Our fans don't expect anything big. Just get us to a bowl game. Don't embarrass us. Give us something to distract us in the basketball offseason. And every time you do, we're going to give you an automatic raise, an automatic one-year guaranteed extension on that deal, which he hits like every year and will hit again this year. That's why he's going to be signed through 2029, right? Like. Mm -hmm. It's the best contract in sports because it's like, hey, this is not an easy thing historically, but it's achievable, and we're going to reward you for consistently being good. 
Do you want to come to Illinois, Mark Stoops? That's, hey, what, that's all what I is want. that trigger to get the, is it seven wins? Seven wins, game? including yeah. a bowl game. Yeah. So like seven, he, goes so six he can be six. six and six yes, and sir. show up to play the f- third or fourth best team from another conference. And if you get that dub, then you Kentucky plays it. hard in those bowls. You notice that, right? I know. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Kentucky always cares so much more about those. It's probably because Mark Stoops knows what's on the line. <laughs> and if he wins 10, it's an automatic two-year extension. Goodness oh, gracious. Which he's done, I think, one time. Yeah. Hey, listen, as a as a University of North Carolina graduate, I can appreciate some seven and five, eight and four football, baby. Hell yeah. That's, that's all you want to do. That's all I've ever wanted. Just get get me to late night with Roy and we'll be gravy. Yeah. Uh all right. Let's uh let's turn this one forward. First off, I, I like this one because it, it leads into an interesting game ahead this weekend. First off, Love the podcast. Look forward to each and every one on a weekly basis. But what does the Purdue defense need to do in order to press Tom Fernelli? I love you, Tom, and your soothing voice. But Purdue's defensive staff had an entire makeover. So I think that it's hard to get rid of past biases. But this year, Purdue's D is legit. A lot of it does have to do with staff turnover. A lot of it has to do with solid recruits turning into upperclassmen. But they've performed every game. Talk about going against mediocre offenses in Iowa, Notre Dame, Oregon State, Minnesota, all you want, but ultimately they've stepped up to the task every game and put the team in a position to win. It's been the offensive line and at times the mediocre quarterback play that has been the detriment to this Purdue team. Depth is still a question at a couple of spots, especially at cornerback after injuries, but man, those boys have come to play this year and I think they need a little more credit. Grant, Graham, Karloftis, Johnson, et cetera, are legit talents that have a little bit more experience now. That question from Blake, and I, I mentioned it because Purdue plays Wisconsin this weekend, a very interesting game in the uh, context of that Big Ten West race. So Purdue's defense, are we are we underrating? Are we overlooking uh, the Boilermakers on that side of the ball? I will admit that going into the season, I had very low expectations for Purdue's defense, and maybe that's kind of caused me to write it off a bit because I mean when you do look at the numbers they have been a much better unit I think George Karloftis is playing really well I think there's finally the biggest difference is as was mentioned in the question like it the last few years it was for opposing offenses they just double teamed Karloftis and didn't worry about anybody else as far as the pass rush was concerned and I think that more guys have stepped up and there's been maybe some more schematic changes to help bring pressure from other areas to allow Karloftis to be able to play a little more freely and deal with more one-on-ones than he usually gets. And I think that's paying dividends, but I can't overlook the offenses that you faced either. Like I, I need to see before I can make a judgment and say that, wow, this defense is really awesome now and it has really improved and it has improved. But before I could say that it's legit, like a good defense, I need to see you play a better offense because you really haven't played one yet. Like Notre Dame is the best one you faced. Notre Dame has not been incredibly impressive offensively in most of its games. It did put up nearly 30 points on you. Iowa turned the ball over four times, and that's awesome. You, you'd force those turnovers. So that just, you know, but Minnesota hasn't been a very good offense. Illinois has been a bad offense. UConn's been a bad offense. It's like you need to face a good offense and you're not facing one this week with Wisconsin and you're probably not really facing one with Nebraska. And then you're not really, fa- well, you're facing a decent one with Michigan state, but again, it's going to be that Ohio state game. And it's not like I'm going to be in the situation where, Oh, they gave up 50 to Ohio state. They suck. No, but that is going to be our first real indication of whether this defense has taken a legitimate step forward or if it's just playing well and playing bad offenses. Uh, is it that much different? Now, Georgia clearly, 
Oh, yeah. But I mean, when we start saying, and this is not saying Georgia's defense is anywhere near the same as Purdue, but the conversation that I'm hearing around college football is this Georgia defense could be one of the best of all time. I think if we're talking about that standard, then it has to be addressed. Who are they going against? Is What offenses are they going against? Is that fair? Well, yeah. it is, but Purdue is not holding people like under right. 100 yards before garbage time or like not allowing people to cross the 50 before garbage time. Uh, Georgia's defense is on a different level. Like they are pacing sort of in like the advanced stats area, right? I'll, I'll cite Bill C here and Fremo um, uh, said the same thing. They're like so far ahead of any other defense since 2007. Like it's not like they're, we call them a zoom out team because they're so like they're so up here on the graph that you have to hit zoom out a couple of times on your computer screen to actually see where they are. Like if they keep doing this, they will go down as by far the best defense, uh, at least since the BCS era, right? I mean, there's been some prior to that that I, I think are, you know, comparable, I guess. Uh, I think Purdue has actually, I think they're a good defense, man. I have them as my number 24 defense in the country, and that surprised me. Like, I'm glad this question got asked. You know, looking at this, they have not played great teams, but Oregon State, I would say, is a solid offense, and they held them to, to 21, right? I mean, they mm-hmm. shut out UConn, so UConn's a bad team. That's what a good defense should do, shut them out. Uh, Notre Dame, they held them under 30. Notre Dame's not a great offense, but it's not a, a bad offense, right? Like, they were competitively in that game. They made Illinois look bad, right? You know, nine points. Um, Minnesota is not a great offense, but, again, they held them to, to 20. And then last weekend against Iowa, I was at the worst offense on this list other than UConn, I think. And, you know. But, but you know, the, the context does matter, though, because, like, I just looked it up, got it here in front of me. Uh, defensive success rate among the Power Five schools in conference play. In the top 20 in defensive success rate, do you want to guess how many of them are Big Ten teams? Oh, probably a lot. There's a lot of incompetent offense Ten. this year. Yeah. Ten. And it's not just because they're great defenses. It's because they're playing incompetent offenses because if you look at it, there's only two SEC teams. It's Georgia and Florida. There's no other G- SEC team in the top 20. And Georgia's far and away number one ahead of NC State, then Wisconsin, Iowa, Pitt, VTech, Oak State, so on and so forth. But it is that a Minnesota whole lot game, of 10 teams. The Minnesota game was also played in a monsoon. So mm-hmm. so was the know. Illinois game was played in pretty crappy weather too. There's a, there's a lot of Big Ten defenses that are looking good because of the offenses they play, but... I got to tell y'all, the big old, hey, listen, SEC fans, ACC fans, Big 12 fans, Pac-12 fans, App State fans, after y'all take care of business against Coastal Carolina, come and fill up that big old bag of mail because uh, it's just a bunch of Big 10 questions right now. I mean, we got like, it's, what is it going to take for us to say that Michigan's good? What are we going to do with Penn, Fra- like with Penn State after Franklin leaves? What is Purdue's defense actually good? It is, uh, it's overloaded with Big Ten flavor. I, I like it. I've got no complaints about it, but just, just telling the rest of y'all to step your game up because otherwise these Wednesday episodes are just going to be nothing but going down the line in the Big Ten standings given our, uh, our actual context applied review of some of these football teams. I love that we can take eight minutes and talk Purdue, though. Like, if you go back to our August 10th meeting that we had, right, for for cover three, we talked about, like, hey, on these Wednesday shows, we got to find a way to talk more than just the playoff, right? Because you know, Monday we're going to talk playoff ramifications. Like, I appreciate that question. Like, like, more of that, right? Let's talk about some of these mid level teams because there are fans out there of these teams. I mean, I also note, hey, Purdue's rush offense is like UConn level bad. 
Uh, so <laughs> they, they have to just chuck it around all the time. Uh, but this was fun. I like that. All right, let's uh, let's do one more. This question comes from Malcolm. I enjoy your football content so much. Even even finished up Ted Lasso. What a season two! I was looking for a college football co- podcast for my commute. Uh, Danny has those oh, Danny has those hot takes on ESPN that I was enjoying so much. I was capital D devastated uh, to see Danny leave. Like when 2018, like in 2018, when Ohio State would have stomped Notre Dame with Haskins then he would have put up numbers. Glad he's bounced back and is doing amazing. Chip the dude when I'm dragging myself into work. His voice carries so much energy, breathes life and a cup of coffee. Tom brings that cool voice that gives so much reason. Like that Lee Corso, not so fast. Bud got serious background in the business of the whole. If the kid commit, I don't know. Question. (laughs) You got a lot of compliments. I saw this one and I'm not really sure what the question is. All right. uh, Question. Why has nobody given out a defensive Heisman trophy before? Like you guys have a budget. Let's make an award. Who would take it and who do we need to call upon? Well, one thing we don't need is another college football award. Uh, I think we <laughs> yeah. can all agree on that. Like there's an award pretty much for every aspect of college football. I thought he was going to go along the lines of, hey, is there a defensive player? Because I saw it in our notes that you put out. Is there a defensive player that could possibly win it this year? And Jordan Davis is getting a lot of that love for Georgia. I'm going to spin it this way. You guys can say, if you guys want to create a college football Heisman Award for the defensive side, you guys go ahead and do that. Uh, Are you guys comfortable with Jordan Davis as a Heisman candidate? Because I'm not. He's not even the best defensive lineman there, I think. That's what that's kind of my point is he's because he's this massive human being who has viral pictures out there because he's standing next to some kid. He's a monster and he's a great player. I don't I think he's getting he's quickly becoming the face of Georgia's defense. And I'm with you, bud. I don't that's where I I think we need to slow down a little bit on the Jordan Davis for Heisman discussion. Well, I mean, it's not going to go anywhere because he I think, you know, if you're going to win the Heisman as a defensive player. Traditionally, what do you have to do? Marcus Woodson, right? You also returned kicks. You you scored touchdowns. Who's Marcus Woodson? Charles Woodson. Charles Woodson. <laughs> Excuse me, not Marcus Woodson. Wow. I was going to say that to yeah. you guy. Uh, Charles Woodson, you know, he returned kicks. He scored. He found ways to score. He was contributing on special teams. Or the other guy who actually got votes, you have to be so far and away the best player on your defense that like they don't talk about anybody else. So in Dominican Sue, go watch what he did to Texas in that Big 12 title game, right? Was that a Big 12 title game or just a late-season game? I'm trying to remember. It was. I'm pretty sure it was the title game against Nebraska. I mean, he just single-handedly wrecked Nebraska. Or, in, or excuse me, uh, wrecked Texas in that ball game. With Georgia, you have Jalen Carter. You have Devontae Wyatt. You have Nolan Smith. You have N'Kobe Dean. You have a bunch of other guys that I know, I know producer Jordan will uh, will drop in the chat because he also produces our Junkyard Dogcast on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network. You know, there's so many guys who are probably going to be if not first round, at least top 100 picks on this defense, it's just hard to stand out above everybody else. And you're not going to get the numbers. Like Sue was like being triple teamed and would still win sometimes. Like, you know who's just, got the numbers right now? Will Anderson. Leads the yeah. nation in tackles for loss. And nobody up front on the defensive line on this Alabama defense is doing anything awesome. And if Alabama's defense is going to be able to – you know, hold all of its opponents the rest of the way under a certain number of points and is part of the face of Alabama climbing back into this SEC championship picture, 
then I think that Will Anderson would have those are the two unanimous CBS Sports midseason All America selections on the defensive side of the ball. It was Jordan Davis and it was Will Anderson. And in given my analysis of the team, I said, yeah, well, those are the two ways that you have All Americans because one of these just doesn't actually have the numbers, but you just watch him and you say, wow, that's incredible as he's you know getting a sack with one arm while he's being triple teamed. And then you look at Will Anderson and at the end of the day and you're like, man, look at all of these tackles for loss. I, I felt like I was always seeing him fly into the backfield and sure enough, the numbers back it up. So for either one, the defensive Heisman is always going to be that balance of how impactful are you, like the outstanding part of the Heisman Trophy, like how outstanding are you to voters. But when you've got the numbers to back it up, like a Will Anderson, I feel like he would be the other name I would enter into this conversation for 2021. I, uh, yeah, I, I agree with everything you guys have said. It just I would point out that for our questioner, there is – there are two defensive Heisman <laughs> Trophy awards. That's what I was there's, saying. We don't need yeah. more. There's the Chuck Bednarik Award, which is given to the best defensive player in the country. And there's the Bronco Nagurski Trophy, which is given to the best defensive player in the country. And it's the better of the two because I vote in that one. But <laughs> no, I I just don't think defensive players are never going to be sexy enough to win the Heisman. And that's fine because the Nagurski and Bednarik Awards are better because the difference between them and the Heismans are if you look at the names and schools that some of the players have won, nobody from those schools is ever winning a Heisman. But you can win a Bednarik and you can win a Nagurski by being just a good player. Aaron Donald made a sweep of those awards. And that was like, well, I'll just, we should have known. Right, like yeah, Bronco yeah, Nagurski. Yeah. Bronco Nagurski in the last few years. Saving Collins of Tulsa won it last year. You're you're never going to see a Tulsa player win a Heisman. Then Chase Young, Josh Allen at Kentucky the year before. Bradley Chubb at NC State. Jonathan Allen at Alabama. Tyler Matakevich, remember him, the Temple oh, yeah. linebacker. Yeah. He won it in 2015. Arizona linebacker Scooby Wright won it in 2014. Three Aaron star Donald, Scoob won that. Yep. Two star Scoob. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aaron Donald in 2013. Manti Teo, Luke Keekley. But it's just. Yeah, there's there's plenty of awards for defensive players. They just don't get the kind of publicity that the Heisman gets. Malcolm's suggestion was that we call it the Chippy Award. I don't. Is that because you have a chip on your shoulder? I think it's for you. I think he loves you because you're the host. I love you too, Malcolm. Thank you for listening. The energy and the coffee. Please dig. Please subscribe. We did create an award back back when SB Nation still did college football um, called the Piesman, and it was basically Mm -hmm. like like the like the fat guy award for the year and we gave it to like our, our, our favorite lineman uh, who was out there scoring touchdowns and, and doing fun stuff. And we had a whole like reward, like uh, awards dinner for it. And it was got it sponsored one year at least. And, uh, and that, that was fun. Like SIDs love awards because it, it kind of, how do I say this nicely? <laughs> Ex- like extra justification for their existence. Right. It's like, Hey, look, like I, I got our guy, another award. I'm, I'm sending out the, the, uh, the award list and, and our guys on this award and on that award. And, as like a Piesman voter, I do want to point out that the description is a, a lineman who does an unlineman thing. Yes, mm-hmm. like scoring yes. touchdowns. Yeah, scoring mm-hmm. a touchdown, getting in there. And I actually went to the Piesman Awards ceremony in New York City. Yeah. And uh, saw all three of the finalists be there in person. Yes, with their uh, SID and also with their families. I mean, their families were very proud to see them. And we served pie. Pies. Yeah, we served pie. It was a. It was a great time. I, I was uh, I was in, enjoyed being a part of the uh, the Piesman, um ceremony that that season for sure. We should we should create an award. Okay, what do we? What was it going to be for? <laughs> That's a good question. Is it most um, unders, most overs? 
like fan base with the most subscriptions to the Cover Three podcast. Ooh, I like that. What if we did <laughs> just a guy award? That's a good one. Jag <laughs> plus, Jag plus. Yeah. the Jag plus award. Yes, yeah. we're, we're, we're like like. The, the guy who exemplifies the most Connor Brewer uh, stuff, right? Like, not actually skilled, but his team is winning, and he's very gritty, uh, you know. I think it. I think Jag Plus is where we got to start. We gotta, yeah, no, we gotta I think sw- that's a good idea. Yeah, the Jag Plus Award, and, uh, and we'll be back next Wednesday. We'll include – in addition, I said every Wednesday we're going to have at least one mailbag question, so please keep filling it up. And again – Big Ten is just crushing it. So unless the other conference fan bases step up, we're just going to be breaking down uh, probably Michigan next week. Uh, so Jag Plus watch list, maybe mid the Jag Plus midseason watch list coming next Wednesday. Our eyes will be peeled all during week eight as we go try to find. I mean, is Jack Cohn a Jag Plus? Not this year. (laughs) He was for a couple throws against Florida State. But that's about it. All right. Uh, Reminder, 11 a.m. on Thursday. It is going to be the Week 8 Locks Live. Make sure you subscribe. YouTube.com slash Cover 3. Come jump in on the conversation if you want. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. I wanted you to get the Dino drop where he says open your eyes to get Tom to come out of the, the frozen uh, screen cap with his eyes closed. <laughs> Wait, what? I was gone. What happened? Uh, you, you froze and you were in like a... <laughs> it looks very meditative. <laughs> yeah.